You're listening to the DCC Sermon Podcast. For more information on Dayton Christian Center, you can visit dcctx.church. Now let's join in for this week's message. We're grateful to be here. We're thankful to be a part of what you're doing. And and I want to bring a little bit of a a word to you this morning. As you see on the screen, you know, we we did some training yesterday in just just practical stuff, right? Just stuff to help you uh, live life and not want to quit and get a bad attitude and miss what God has for you. And, you know, one of the things that Jesus prayed and he, and he told his disciples, this is how you ought to pray. You know, our Father who art in heaven, what? Hallowed would be your name. In other words, we give God honor and glory. But, but then the next thing is, you know, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that's God's plan. God's plan is for the atmosphere of heaven, the economy of heaven, the government and structure of heaven to come to earth. And that comes here through us, right? Through, through kingdom people who live kingdom principles and kingdom truths and are connected with our Father God in heaven and His Son and His Holy Spirit, that kingdom flows out of us. And, you know, I believe God loves us so immensely, so immensely. And He would have to because God, you know, I I never would have given me an opportunity to be saved. You know, back when I was 23 and I came to know the Lord and just a drug addict and just a loser and just a, a thief and a liar and for God to come into my life and change me like he did, I never would have done that. So I know that God loves people immensely. And God wants to, you know, we're his kids, right? And God wants us to experience his very best. And that's why he said, you know, your kingdom come. Because God's kingdom is very different from the kingdoms of this world. I mean, it's like an upside-down kingdom. It's very, very different. And, and so Jesus wants us to experience God's kingdom because in God's kingdom, all of our needs are met. That, and there is a provision there that flows from God's throne that meet our emotional needs, our physical needs, our spiritual needs, our mental needs needs. It all flows from God's kingdom to cause us to be healthy and bear fruit, right? God wants us as his kids to be healthy. And when we're healthy, we bear fruit. Now, now here's one thing that I know about healthy things. Healthy things grow. Okay. Healthy things grow. And the whole purpose of growth, like when you think about, you know, let's kind of move over into horticulture. You think about fruit trees. We were leaving this morning. David said, all right, I've got a couple of peach trees right here. I've got a, you know, he planted trees, plum trees. Well, the whole point of the tree is to what? Produce. Produce, To bear fruit, right? So, Healthy things bear fruit. As a matter of fact, Jesus said, one of the things that Jesus said was, I I want you to bear fruit. How much fruit? Much fruit. And then he said, and I want that fruit to be the kind of fruit that remains. In other words, multi-generational fruit. Not, Not fruit that dies out with you, but fruit that you pass down through discipleship and mentoring that 
is multi-generational. And, and so when I think about fruit that remains, I think about legacy. Yes. Legacy. You know, we're here. I'm here. I'm preaching. But one day I won't be here. I will be there. There will be other people here. And that's what you call legacy. Because, you know, Dayton Christian Center is going to move forward long after all of us here who helped start the vision of this ministry. It's going to be here because we understand that principle of bearing fruit. Healthy things grow. So, it, you know, a healthy pecan tree is bearing what? Pecans, right? A, a, a healthy tomato plant is bearing tomatoes and that's a fruit and that's really weird I don't know who thought that was a good idea I've never been able to get past it I've always I go over to the vegetable produce area and there is a tomato a, and somebody called a tomato a vegetable and I've never gotten over it I mean a fruit and I've never gotten over it I don't know what to do with that why did you categorize a tomato as a fruit an apple's a fruit, an orange is a fruit, a pear is a fruit, a banana's a fruit, but I've just, I, I don't know anyway. That has nothing to do with what I'm talking about, but I've just never gotten over it. So, so if growth is an indication of health, if bearing fruit is an indication of health, then we're most healthy when we're in a state of producing fruit, Right? That's when we're our most healthy. When you know, you look at a plum tree or, a, or, or, you know, for the cowboys here, you look at your livestock, they are most healthy when you have a lot of young calves. You know, they're bearing fruit. You've got a healthy herd. That's what you want. So Jesus said in John 15 that it is his will that we bear fruit, much fruit, fruit that remains. But, you know, sometimes I think people get caught up on seeing fruit as um, something a little bit different. You know, we see fruit as um, I've got a nice car, I've got a nice house, I've got a, you know, a college education. I see fruit as we've got lots of money or, you know, we go on vaca nice vacations. I've got nice things. I've got technology. And not, not that there's anything wrong with any of that stuff. And, and I do think that that is a byproduct of being healthy and working and striving for better things, but that's not the kind of fruit that Jesus was talking about. The kind of fruit that Jesus is talking about and the kind of fruit that God wants us to bear are kingdom fruit. And kingdom fruit are found in Galatians chapter 6, the fruit of the Spirit, right? Love, and we talked about this yesterday because we were reading from Paul's love list in um, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. So love, joy, peace, and patience, kindness, gentleness, meat, and self-control, right? That would, is definitely one that the world needs right now. And so I think a lot of those other things are considered fruit, but, but the fruit that Jesus is talking about is the fruit of the Spirit that we're bearing in our lives. And people, you know, they see that in our marriages. They see that in our children. They see that in our lives. We're bearing the fruit of the kingdom. And then we're supposed to cultivate those fruit. In other words, we, we do everything we can to protect that fruit. And we cultivate that fruit so we'll bear more of that fruit every day. Like, so if a little bit of love is good, then a lot of love is better. 
right? If a little bit of patience is good, then a lot of patience is better. If, or a little bit of wisdom is good. A lot of wisdom is better. A little bit of knowledge is good. A lot of knowledge is better. So God's just about us bearing fruit. Amen? I mean, that's what God wants us to do. And there's countless ways that we can do this, but the, the three things that I want to talk about this morning that I think have such a huge role in us being effective kingdom influencers, right? Whether it be in our families, with our friends, on the job, whatever we're doing, these three areas, teachability, correctability, and humility. They're so vitally important. You, you've got to be teachable. You know, I remember when I, before I got saved, you weren't going to tell me anything. I mean, I, I, I thought I knew everything that needed to be known, and I didn't need anybody telling me. So I was, a, I was like the poster child for the person not to be, right? If you were a young person in here today, and you want to look at a poster that said, idiot, don't act like this guy, my picture would have been there. I was that guy. But, but as obviously, as I've grown in the Lord, I've, I've come to really understand and value some things in my life. And, and these three things I want to deposit in your heart today because these three things are three things that have been tremendously powerful in my life to help me in huge, huge ways. So first, you have to be teachable. Well, to be teachable, you have to have a desire to become better, okay? For those of you that are taking notes, you have to have a desire to become better. Teachable people want their lives to be better tomorrow than they are today, right? Teachable people don't want to stay in the same place. They always want things to improve. They're wanting things to get better. You have a desire to be a better husband. I mean, I'm coming up this year, Angela and I, the 25th of July, I still remember it, we're coming up on 30 years. Yeah, that's a huge accomplishment. Yeah, I, I couldn't believe I actually pulled it off. I'm really, really thankful and surprised that we actually were able to do that. But, you know, I, I want to always continue growing as a husband. I don't want to be in a place where I just get comfortable and, you know, she's stuck with me now. And, you know, it's just too much trouble to train up another man anyway. So, you know, just live with what you got. You know, now I, I want to continue to grow and be better. A better wife, a, a better young person in your home with your mom and dad. You know, it's like, I'm not just going to be the status quo young person in church. No, I want to be that one that kind of, you know, it's like the, the, the cream it always rises to the top. That's the kind of young person you want to be. I'm just, I'm just a little cut above. You know, I'm striving for that. So you have to have this desire to become better. See, the, the, and that belief becomes the fuel for your teachability. That desire to become better becomes the fuel for your teachability. It, it, because, because in teachability, there's a desire to change. You don't want to stay the same. A teachable person has a desire to change. They don't just wake up every day and go through the motions and be the same old person with the same old thoughts and the same old life and the same old things. I just, I'm not that kind of person. You know, and I drive my poor wife crazy because I'm, I am a forward person. I'm always moving forward. I'm never satisfied. I'll get something and I'm satisfied 
being there for a while. Like, you know, I believe in making a touchdown, spiking the ball, and celebrating. But Bush for a little while. Then we got to line up on the 20-yard line and make another play. We, you know, we got to advance down the field, right? And so I think teachable people need to be that way. You've got to have a strong desire to grow in all situations. You just have this desire to change. And, and, and the, the thing that we really have to watch out for is becoming comfortable with comfortable. Yes. We get comfortable with comfortable. And as I get older, you know, now that I'm 56, I don't have the same drive even physically that I did when I was 35 or 40. I mean, I, let's go, you know, and now I'm kind of like, well, let me have a cup of coffee, maybe two, <laughs> and then we'll go, right? It's a little bit, a little bit different than it used to be. Some of you in the room are like, yes. Yes, yes. But here's the thing with comfortable. Comfortable and familiar won't lead you to fulfilling your dreams. They won't. They, comfortable and familiar will not get you to where you want to go. You have to be willing to be flexible. Okay? Now, for those in here in the room that are 45, 50, and over, then you've got to be willing to let go of the old and adapt new. And that's one of the reasons I love being around young adults, because young adults are always challenging me. You know, new things, new stuff, new ideas, thinking outside of the box. I mean, you know, being around young people, they'll say stuff to me, and I'm like, I never even had that thought. I didn't even ever even thought that. And so it's good that I, now it's challenging, right? It's challenging, and sometimes I, that's not really what I want to do, but I understand that that's what I need to do. So, so you, you've got to have a desire to be better, to be teachable. You have to have a desire to change, to be teachable. And another area, you have to have a desire to learn, to be teachable. You have to have a desire to learn. It's important that we always keep an appetite to learn new things, even things that don't come naturally to your personality. That's good. You know, things that, you, you know, well, I'm just not comfortable with that. Well, that's probably what you need to learn, yes. you know? That, that, that's the thing. You know, I remember, for example, when uh, Angela, and I, you know, I didn't come from a family that had wealth. I came from a poor family. You know, we, we had a lot of cornbread and milk and bologna, <laughs> spam. <laughs> I was telling David this morning that, that, that can, that, that, that salted canned sliced meat in that little glass jar. And my mom would make the gravy and put it on the top. We ate a lot of that, right? <laughs> You know, so I didn't come from a background of having a lot of money. And then, you know, I, I got around our pastor, Tim, and he was good with money. I wasn't good with money. As a matter of fact, when Angela and I got married, I, had a, I did air conditioning refrigeration. I had a great job. I made lots of money. I made really good money. But I didn't have any money. None. <laughs> and my wife worked for... Tim at the radio station that we had at that time, and she didn't have, hardly make any money. Guess who had the savings account? <laughs> that one right there. Guess who didn't? Now, I had a lot of fun, but I didn't have any money, right? Because it all went to the fun. And so that learning to think wealthy was a challenge for me because money was always a means to an end for me. It wasn't a tool. I didn't see it that way. So I had to relearn a whole lot of things, and that didn't come natural to my personality. So you have to almost force yourself to learn new things. And it's challenging. 
But I want to encourage you that. Don't let yourself become comfortable with where you are. Teachability requires a willingness to learn. At the end of the day, your success in this area, the area of, of growing, of bearing fruit, is going to boil down to two things. One, your desire to learn, and two, your willingness to change. And you got to be willing to do both your whole life. That's one of the things I love. You know, I'm 56, Tim's 65, and he's still open to change and, and wants to change and wants to grow. Well, I want to be around people like that. you got to position yourself around people like that that are going to push you and challenge you because if not, what happens is our nat natural inclination is not to grow. Our natural inclination is to put it in neutral, right, and coast. We like to put the kickstand down and park. Now, here's another important fact. If your teachability is consistently low, then you're probably going to struggle throughout your entire life when it comes to having what you want to have and accomplishing things that you want to accomplish. It's just going to be really low. Just because your teachability level, your teachability level has to be high if you're going to move into the things that God has for you. So you, so you got to identify things that might keep you from growing. Okay. What keeps you, what is keeping you right now where you are? Cause we're all in different places in here, spiritually, mentally, emotionally, just in lots of life stages. You could be in, you know, seventh grade. You could be in 10th grade. You could be in college. You could have college, you know, 20 years in your rearview mirror. You could be in a place where your grandparents now in life. We're all in different stages in life, but you've got to identify with what keeps you from growing because if we're not teachable, we won't grow and fulfill our God-given destinies. That's and that's the scariest thing to me. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't want to die and enter into heaven and God says, okay, here was the starting point of your life when you were born. Right there, there's the ending point. And you made it right about here. Well, halfway? No, I want to hear, well done. You know, I want to say like Paul said, I ran my race. I fought the good fight, right? I, I gave it all I had, man. I expended myself. You, you know, I, I, I squeezed all the juice out of the orange that's going to come out in the glass, right? I, I got every last drop. That, that's what I want to do. And so at the end of the day, as we look at this, we've got to understand that if you're not teachable, you're not going to grow. If you're not teachable, you're not going to bear fruit. And if you don't bear fruit, then you're not going to create multi-generational legacy. And we're called to reproduce, right? My job is, as a believer, is to bring people around me and under me that I'm reproducing. It's like sons and daughters. I mean, I'm, I'm supposed to be reproducing sons and daughters. And, you know, for those of you in the room that are younger, you know, it's like, okay, wait, I'm too young to have sons and daughters. Not, you're not too young to have spiritual sons and daughters. See, so you... you, you <clears throat> Like, let's say you're a young girl and you're in eighth grade and you're a believer and you love Jesus. Well, you have a responsibility to all the other young women to influence them. 
or you're a young man and you're in 10th grade and, man, I love, I love Jesus. Well, you have a responsibility to influence, like, younger boys. Because, I, you know, I remember, I remember when I was in, like, 3rd and 4th grade and I would see those guys that were in 11th and 12th grade and I just thought they were like, God, I thought they were gods. They were, like, the most awesome guys in the whole world. I really looked up to them. They were the coolest guys ever and I wanted to be just like them. And the, and the guys that really influenced me were the ones that took time to connect with me. Yeah. And, man, that just, that got all over me. And that's why I love, you know, we were, David and I were talking about this. Um, you know, we're, we're Gen X, right? If you study generational stuff, you know, we're in Gen Y right now, right, like right here. How old are you girls right here on the front row? All right, so Gen Y, um, then there's Gen Z that's right, you know, kind of a little bit older than you, Gen Z. And then we have the millennials, right? And that was that, they're a rough bunch. <laughs> sorry, you 30 and 40 year olds in the room, sorry. And then there's Gen Z and, and we were what we call, I mean Gen X, we we're what you call the latch key. The baby boomers were right before us. And my mom and dad were baby boomers, okay? And so, you know, you call it, we're the latchkey generation. You know, they're out making money and getting stuff and doing. And, and so adults in the baby boomer generation, they didn't cross-pollinate with young people. I remember my parents, you know, if they had people over, all you kids, y'all get in there in that room or y'all go out there and play. Get out of our hair, leave us alone. But, but it's so cool today you know, I get, I'm working with, with Gen Z right now in Leaders Academy, and I'm telling you what, it's crazy. They follow me like, I like the Pied Piper. Everywhere we go, they want to be around us. Now, one reason is because we feed them, and, you know, obviously that does help. But, but they just, they want people pouring into them. They're, they're like, they want fruit. They want to eat that fruit. And they don't want to do all the work that I had to do to get the fruit, you know. And I think that's what teachability is all about, is you're in a place where you are teaching. Many people allow their circumstances or they use their situation as an excuse not to grow. Right. Well, well, see, Paul, the reason that I can't, the reason I'll never, well, my, my, my parent, my grandparents were poor. My parents were poor, my grandparents were poor, their grandparents were poor, will always be poor. It's like an excuse. Or, you know, my parents divorced. I grew up in a broken home. And listen, I'm not making light of that. I get it. I grew up in it too. My dad was very difficult to deal with. I went through a lot of hurtful things growing up that still to this day have impact on me. But I'm not going to allow that to be an excuse in my life that keeps me from growing, come on, and bearing the fruit that God has called me to bear. Now, one thing that you can always know is in your pursuit of growth, you will always encounter roadblocks, roadblocks. For example, me, what I grew up in, that was a roadblock. I've had lots of wrenches thrown into the cog on the way to where God wanted me to go. I've had tragedies. We, we faced difficulties, all kinds of hard things. I'm talking struggles and even just being in the ministry. You know, you, you, it's just hard stuff that you hit. But roadblocks are inevitable on your way to growth. 
It's just like on that video this morning. It, you know, it's like in this world, you will have trouble. As a matter of fact, Jesus said, John 10, 10, the thief comes, what? Kill, steal, destroy. Right, Jesus set us up ahead of time. I'm letting you know there's a thief. His job is to kill, steal, and destroy. But I'm also letting you know I've come to give you life and life more abundant. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. So, so we get that and we understand that roadblocks are a part of life. All of us have gone on trips. We've all gone on vacations. And we hit the inevitable roadblock and you get a detour, right? And that's just the worst because it turns a five-hour trip into a seven-hour trip or a five-hour. I mean, I've, we've hit some pretty good roadblocks before, you know, that really make the trip a lot longer than it should have been. Roadblocks do that. They, they add hours to a trip. And, and they add difficulty to endeavors that we try to do. We're building a house right now. I've hit lots of roadblocks. Now, I've been dreaming, and, and my poor wife's had to put up with this, but I, I've been dreaming for a house for 18 years, praying for a house for 18 years. And God decided that 2020 was a good idea to start one. And I'm thinking, you ha God, you, I know you love me, but sometimes I feel like, you know, you just get me for some things that I did a long time ago. You know, just, I'm just having to work off a few things. And I know that's not true, but you know what I'm saying? You know, roadblocks, right? And it's just stuff that is, happens. It's just part of life. And I'm not just talking about building a house. I'm talking about you know, the pandemic. I'm talking about all the other things that are going on. Right? We all identify with this. We all face roadblocks. Roadblocks do that. King Saul, I think he's such a great example of this. You know, of, the, of a guy who experienced... I mean, if ever there was somebody poised to be incredibly successful and go down in the history books as the greatest leader of all time, it was Saul. I mean, he was God's first man that he picked to be king. This guy was incredible. Incre he had all the attributes that people would follow. Tall. I mean, why? I mean, just, this guy had a lot going for him. He was a man's man. I mean, this guy was a fighter. How many of y'all watch the ultimate cage fighting? I love, I love watching that stuff. And, you know, if... If there was ultimate cage fighting in Saul's time, he'd be the champion. I mean, this guy was a fighter. He, he knew what he was doing. And for all the ladies in the room, tall, dark, and handsome. I mean, just a good-looking man. I mean, all the women were attracted to Saul. Smart, charismatic, gifted, had skills and abilities like no other. So from the outside looking in, Saul had everything that was necessary to be a great leader, for God to really use him. But his character didn't match his giftings. That's right. That was the problem. And Saul's teachability level was very low. And this was a huge problem for Saul. He had all the right stuff, but all the right stuff minus teachability equals disappointment. Y'all yeah. wow. hear me? Yeah. Giftings and abilities and talent, that's great. I'm thankful that God gives those to us, but without teachability, those things can become very destructive 
tools in your life that can cause you a lot of problems and can hurt a lot of people. And we see that's what happened in his situation. Saul frustrated people around him, especially David. <laughs> you know, he was his primary kind of a spiritual father to David, a mentor, and here he is trying to kill him with a spear and all this terrible stuff that he did to David. It was very unfortunate. And, and, and ultimately, Saul became an example in history of what not to be yeah. instead of what to be. Yeah. And, you know, and I remember in my early teens, I was, I was headed in that direction. In my early 20s, I was headed, here's what not to be instead of what to be. And, 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 you know, the fact of the matter is, is we look at people that we admire, people that we really look up to. If you really think about it, they're people with high levels of teachability. They have high levels of teachability. That's why we respect them, because they walk in a lot of wisdom, right? They walk in a lot of grace. They walk in a lot of knowledge. I mean, they just, they have high levels of teachability. But there's always roadblocks. And, 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 you know, one of the big roadblocks to teachability is pride. Yeah. Probably one of the biggest roadblocks to teachability. C.S. Lewis, he's one of, my, one of my more favorite authors. He said this. He said, a proud man is always looking down on things and people. And, of course, as long as you're looking down, you cannot see something that's above you. And I thought, wow, that's... That's true. You know, pride, pride will bring your teachability levels really, really low. It's a major hindrance to everything good in our lives. Because pride says the rules don't apply to me. They may apply to other people, but, but the general rules of life don't apply to me, right? They just don't. Pride makes us think that we're above the rules. Pride makes us think that the law, the spiritual law of sowing and reaping doesn't apply to us. In other words, you know, I can do whatever I want to do and I'm not going to suffer the consequences of my choices, right? In other words, I can sow tares in my garden and I don't have to worry about weeds growing up. It doesn't work like that, does it? You know, whatever you sow, you will reap. But pride tells us that, that, that that's not the case for us. It may be the case for other people, but it's not going to be the case for me. Pride says I don't need anybody's advice. Pride says I don't need anybody's counsel. Pride says I got this. Pride says I can do this on my own. I don't need nobody's help. And, and pride, not only, that, not only that as far as like messing with our teachability, but, but pride can also cause us to put on a false face. You know, it's like you can be really hurting or really struggling. For example, you could be really dealing with depression or really struggling with anxiety to the point that you've started having anxiety attacks. You never even have one. You like your chest gets tight and you think you're having a heart attack and you're not having a heart attack. You're having an anxiety attack. But you don't want anybody to know that because if people knew that, then what would they think of you? You know, and that's especially hard for pastors and leaders because, you know, we're leading people and we're, we can't ex expose weakness because if we expose weakness, what are people going to think of us? See, that's what pride will do to you. 
Pride will even have you acting like something that you're not, putting on a false face and getting yourself in a position where you could have been helped. And it really could have been alleviated earlier and it could have been a whole lot less problematic, but because you're prideful and you're not saying anything, now you've allowed it to come to a point to where it's gotten really, really bad, and now you're, you're at a point to where you're almost overwhelmed by it. Yeah. And I've been with people who have been in that situation just because of their pride, right? I think another area that's really important is correctability. Not just teachability, but correctability. And correctability isn't easy. You know, it's, it's hard to swallow your pride. I don't like my wife correcting me. It's, it's, it, I don't like really to be corrected by anybody. It's not, the Bible says correction is not pleasant. Can I have an amen? Yeah, it, it's not like, yeah, give me some more of that. That, that felt good, you know. Just give me a dozen of those. But, but here's the thing. Swallowing your pride isn't nearly as painful as walking out the consequences that a prideful, uncorrectable person will produce. And once again, I've been there. I was the guy on the poster, right? I, I know what I'm talking about. I didn't read this in a book. This is what I've lived myself. You know, teachable people, they welcome input. They welcome feedback. They look for it because they're teachable, because they know that, you know, if I can receive some correction here, this could help me. This can help move me forward. This can help me bear more fruit. You know, in other words, you don't just push your agenda while you're pridefully trying to figure something out. No, you're, you're correctable. Hey, man, can I, can, I, can I share something with you about what you're doing right there? You know, if you'll just... You know, I hear Tim talking about roping and how you hold your arm. And he, he talks about how he was just missing all the time roping. And it was because he had his arm down here instead of, I mean, just a little bit. I mean, it wasn't hardly any correction. Or golf or, any, any, you know, batting, whatever. In sports, there's a lot of times like that. It's just a small adjustment can make a huge change, but you've got to be able to receive that correction. You've got to be able to receive that correction. Pride says, I'm going to go ahead with the good instead of waiting for the best. See, it's not bad. It's not like I'm sinning. It's not like I'm doing, it's not like I'm doing something terrible. But it's not the best, see? It's just good. And, and, you know, when there's something better or there's best and you're just doing good, well, now all of a sudden good has become the worst enemy of best. Because what you're doing is good, but it's not God's best. And if you would be correctable, then you could move in. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? So, so pride keeps that. So teachability and correctability will cause you to notice who God has placed in your life and around your life. You know, think about Saul. Saul had an army of men. Uh, no telling how many counselors and wise people. He was the king. I mean, he had anybody that he needed at his disposal. He had all kinds of leaders and intelligent people around him, not to mention the fact that he had Samuel. God gave Saul this really awesome spiritual leader in his life, 
Yet Saul was not a teachable person. And even, and I don't have time to go through the story, but you know the whole story of Samuel telling Saul not to take any of the spoils and you know kill everybody, and he didn't listen, and he took the spoils and he kept the king alive. And you know Samuel comes back and he starts questioning, man, what's what's going on? You weren't supposed to do any of this. And Saul started what? Making excuses for himself, and it grieved Samuel. Because Samuel was trying to correct Saul's error, but Saul wouldn't hear of it. Yes. See, he wasn't teachable. He wasn't correctable. And guys, I just want you to know, just like God put Samuel in Saul's life, God's placed Samuel's in all of our lives. Yes. And we've got to be highly aware you know, if you're a young person in this room today, listen to me. Don't be stupid like I was. God put some people around me, but I was too hard-headed to listen. I wasn't teachable. I wasn't correctable. I wouldn't receive it. I let my pride get in the way, and I just spent a whole lot of my life doing a whole lot of dumb stuff. And I hurt a lot of people, including my parents, and I, I feel really, really bad about that. I put my poor mother through, whew. My mother is like, she's way up there in heaven somewhere. I can promise you that before I put her, put her through. But here's the thing. If you're married in this room, your Saul is probably your mate. That's your primary Saul. I mean, you're Samuel. They're probably your mate. They're going to be the one that's going to teach you more than anybody else. But, but God, it, or it could be your children. I mean, our, you know, kids... When they're little and they're growing up, they're like little mirrors of your true self. Yes. You know, you'll see them acting. And, you know, my best friend back home, Eric, he, he's, he's got boys. And I think his youngest son is around 12 right now. He acts just like his daddy. I mean, just exactly in every way. And I always mess with my buddy and, 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 and he doesn't like that. I said, he's acting just like you right now. He's just like you right now. <laughs> But whether you're married or whether you're single, the way to grow fruit in your life depends on whether or not you have the right posture. You've got to have the right posture. You know, working with the young people that come in Leaders Academy, they, you know, I watch them when they arrive at our campus, and they're with us for nine months. It's an internship for 18 to 25-year-olds, and we help really give them life skills and train them and get them rooted in biblical principles and really help launch them into life. You know, we teach them about money and, and relationships and communication and, and just all kinds of great stuff and try to really help them get a, give them a head start. But I watch them when they come in, and because and, I just, I'm a fruit guy. You know, I just, I watch people. That, that's the main way I learn, you know. I see somebody doing something stupid, I'm like, I'm not going to do that. You know, I see something doing some, something smart that's bearing fruit, so okay, I'm, I'm going to get with them. What are you doing? How, how did you get there? What, what, you know, and I watch them and I learn. So I watch these young people come in, and I'm, and I'm looking at their posture, and, I, and I, so when we're sitting in class, they'll be the ones that are sitting in the back. They're kind of not really paying attention. They're not really locked in. And, and, and you know, they, they don't really schedule any meetings with any of the leaders. They, they, but then there's others. They're on the front row. They've got their, 
their Bible open, their computer open, they've got their pen, their pad open, they're leaning in, they're not leaning back. See that posture? They have a desire to learn. They'll, hey, Paul, can I have a meeting with you? Can I have a meeting with you? Can I, I got some people who have a meeting with me all the time. Can I, but, they're, but see, they're, they are teachable. They're correctable. They have high levels of teachability. And those ones like that, here's the thing. They're my favorites. Well, Paul, you're not supposed to have favorites. Well, you may not supposed to be, but everybody does. Right? <laughs> Your, your favorite horse is not the one that won't do what you say, right? The one that just kicks and bucks and fights, that's not your favorite horse. And it's hard for that horse, and it makes it hard on you. The, 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 the people in your life that you're most attracted to are the people when you give them advice or you tell them something or you drop a little nugget of wisdom on them, they lean in and listen. And then they do the crazy thing if they go out and do exactly what you said. <laughs> and it works. And they come back and they go, that was so awesome. That worked. Tell me something else. <laughs> but see, God puts people like that in our lives all the time. And, and I tell young people, listen, you know, well, I, I don't have a mentor. Well, are you mentorable? <laughs> What's your posture? Where do you sit when you're in church? When you're around adults and you see them, do you pay them any attention? Do you look them in the eye? How are you today, Mr. David? How have you been, Mr. David? Good to see you, sir. Well, when I see a young people, a young person come in and they're talking to me, hey, Paul, how you doing? Nice to see you today. How have you been? I don't know. There's just something about that. I want to, I want to get around that guy. But the ones are just buzzing by and they don't, and they're not, Y'all hear what I'm saying? See, it, it's all about posturing ourselves in life, posturing ourselves with the Lord. A wise person recognizes the strengths and giftings of others, and they seek out those resources. They seek them out. I didn't know how to, how to make money. And every time I saw Tim, he reached in his pocket, and every time he reached in his pocket, he'd pull out a bunch of hundreds, and I thought, okay, he knows how to make money. He's got money. I reached in my pocket. I pulled out lint. That's all that came out. And I thought, I got to figure this out, right? Because I'm making a lot, but I don't ever have any. And so I would go to somebody, teach me. How, how did you? And you know, the, the first thing that Tim Brooks told me about, I said, Tim, how do you have all that money? And, I, and today, I got money. I said, Tim, how do you have all that money? And you know what he told me? I'd, I'd never thought, I would have never thought of this. He said, I don't spend it. <laughs> and I was like, no, man, come on, seriously. He says, I am being serious. Yeah. And then I got to thinking, I spend everything I get as soon as I get it. Yeah. And so it became a goal of mine. And my wife always says, where do you get all that money? Where do you have all that money? Well, I have it because I don't spend it. <laughs> I never, it just stay. it's fun. Because you, you can just go, wow, I got, I got some hundreds in here. And it feels good. But if I spend them, I won't have them. Yeah. Right? So I just don't spend them. I mean, I've got, I've got hundreds in here that have been in here for months. Isn't that funny? But I got money. But see, I was teachable. 
I listened. I learned. I said, okay, I'm, I'm going to figure this out. See, pride prevents growth. Pride stops you from growing. James 4.10, listen to this. Humble yourselves before the Lord, humility, and he will exalt you. Psalms 25.9, he leads the humble in what is right, and he teaches the humble his way. See, the Bible has a lot to say about yeah. humility, humility. Pride is dangerous. Pr pride's like earplugs. It deafens your spiritual ears to the wisdom that God can give you. But, but the truth of the matter is, wisdom oftentimes is brought to us in ways that we never expect. It's going to come from our mate. It's going to come from a friend. You can learn it from circumstances if you're paying attention. I just never paid attention to my circumstances. <laughs> I never made the connection that cause and effect. Right? I never, I never made that connection. I thought, well, why are people being mean to me? Because you're mean. That's why. That's the only reason. Why don't people like me? Because you don't like nobody. <laughs> so it's like, okay, well, if I, want, if I want a little bit of love from people, then what am I going to have to do? I'm going to have to sow a little bit of love. And it started out with, you know, me being nice, being kind. And so, you know, we were talking about this in leadership yesterday. So I go to my young adults and, you know, the first, in Paul's love list, that's what we were talking about yesterday. The first two are patience and kindness, right? Be patient, be kind. Well, those are like the hardest things in the world for me. I'm not patient for any, hardly at all. And being kind doesn't come naturally to me. I don't know about y'all, but the thing is, see, none of this stuff comes natural to us. <clears throat> it's why it's spiritual. It's spiritual. That's why you have to have it become a new creation. Yeah. And God changes your heart. Yes. And your heart is no longer a heart of stone. Good. It's a heart of flesh. It's alive to the Word. It's alive to God. And God can download good things into your life. And you can receive it. And you can grow from it. See, the Bible has a lot to say about humility. It's one, probably one of the most important attributes that God talks to us about walking in. Why humility? Because humility or the act of being humble will lead us into exalted places. And that's what God wants to do with his kids. He wants to exalt us. It pleases the Lord to exalt his children. You, every parent in this room, you want your kid to be exalted. You want the very best for them. You don't want them to suffer unnecessarily, you know. You don't want them to go through hard things that they bring upon themselves, through trouble and difficulty and trial. No, no parent here. They want their kid to be exalted. They want them to be blessed. They want them to prosper. They want good things for their life. And that's what God wants for us. And, and what, one important quality of humility is it causes us to be open to feedback. You've got to be open to feedback. I heard this said, a teachable spirit is a teachable spirit regardless of the teacher. Mm. A teachable spirit is a teachable spirit regardless of the teacher. And this is an area in my own life that I actively work on all the time. Sometimes I fail and other times I succeed. 
But if you're going to grow in teachability, if you're going to grow in correctability, if you're going to grow in humility, then you've got to come to a place where you don't just tolerate feedback, you invite it. You, you, you want it. You want it. Because you, you recognize that you, you need it. See, teachable people see feedback as their friend, not their enemy. It's a friend. But here's, here's the, the difficult thing. Not all feedback comes in the way that you like it to come. <laughs> right? It's not served on a plate with icing on top and a side of ice cream. Doesn't always happen like that. It would be nice if it would. I mean, it would be nice. If it would. And when it is, it's great. And I try to make my feedback that I give people, I think it's good to put a little a la carte ice cream with it. I don't want to make it hard on people when I give them feedback. That's not my goal. But, you know, and life just doesn't always work that way. I, I read in one of John Maxwell's books on leadership, and he's, he's a good guy to read. He said, be willing to accept feedback and criticism without defending your position. Otherwise, you'll only receive it once. Right? I read in a marriage book one time, and it just never left me. I mean, me and Angela, we quote it all the time. And, and it's a good thing. It says, if, if the two of you agree on everything, one of you is not necessary. Wow. Yeah. I've worked with our pastor, Tim, for 33 years. We couldn't be more different, David. I mean, night and day, different. I'm, David and I are a lot alike. You know, the more I hang around, the more I realize that. And Angela and Wendy are a lot alike. It's pretty interesting. We're laughing this weekend. But Tim and I, we're like, we're opposites in so many ways. And, I mean, he irritates the heck out of me. I, I mean, the, I was saying in our leadership lessons, there's been times that I, over the years that I've been on staff that I've said to my wife, you know, I'd come home from work and I'd be like, I don't care where we move to. North, south, east, or west. I don't care where we go as long as it's not here. Because that man is about to drive me nuts. We don't think alike. We don't agree. But here's the thing. If we both thought the same way, then I'm not needed. It's what I bring to Tim and what Tim brings to me that is the opposite is that's what I need. That opposite feedback is what I need. And, you know, John Maxwell, one of his big sayings is teamwork makes the dream work, right? That's one of his big things. And it's true. It's true. But within that teamwork, there has to be some feedback. So I want to I give you a couple of things that I think will help you in your attitudes toward feedback. And this is something that I try to take on. One, refuse to get defensive. Refuse to get defensive. No matter what's said, you got to refuse to be defensive about it. Because my natural reaction is to fight back. I don't know about you. My natural reaction is I, I want to give a comeback. I want to give an excuse. I want to give a reason. Kind of like Saul did with Samuel. You know, we got, all got a little bit of that rascal in us, right? We all got a little bit of Saul in us. But getting defensive when receiving feedback is one of the surest ways to guarantee that that person eventually won't give you feedback. Because if you always rebuttal them, 
If you're always going to kick back, for example, once again, all the young people in the room, listen to me, all you young people, when your mom and dad correct you, okay, or when a youth leader corrects you, and you say, yeah, but, <laughs> or before they even finish giving you correction, you're giving an excuse. I mean, you're interrupting them. That's good. And it's coming out of your mouth. You're not listening to what they're saying. You're just, you're just wanting them to hear what you have to say. Yeah, but mom, but here's the reason. Dad, here's why. Yeah, but you don't understand. You know, and we all are tempted to do that, okay? We're all tempted to do that. But I'm just telling you, here's what we will do to ourselves. If we're constantly doing that, then after a while, you will silence that voice in your life that you need. Wow, that's good. Now, on a spiritual side, this even works with the Holy Spirit. Ooh, oh, yes. That's good, Paul. Throw, throw up a wall to the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Don't go there. <laughs> yeah. Don't buy that. Don't listen to that. Don't watch that. You call them. Pray for them. And we don't listen. We, well, you know, well I, there's nothing wrong with me buying this. I mean, well, he's got one. Why can't I have one? Well, that's, he may have one. It's not your season to have that. Give it another 15 years like them, and you, then you can have that car. But right now, that's not for you. You know, stuff like that. And we just, well, guess what will happen? After a while... That, that still small voice, yeah. you won't hear it. And you have brought your teachability level low. That's good. As people of God, as leaders, and we all are called to be leaders, yeah. our teachability level has to be high, okay? Well, if it's going to be high, you've got to be able to receive feedback. You've got to... You've got to constantly remind yourself that criticism isn't a put-down. Yes, that's true. Yeah. It's not a put-down, especially constructive criticism. Good. It's not a put-down. I tell our interns all the time, correction is not rejection. Yeah, that's good. Correction is not rejection. Cor if I didn't love you, I wouldn't have you in my office having a conversation with you you know, young people, if your mom and dad didn't love you, they wouldn't correct you. They'd just let you grow up to be a wild, crazy person and wind up in prison. <laughs> right? No, they, they correct you because they love you and they want you to be blessed. So if you can take it to heart, it can be a guide in your life to lead you to the best outcome. Secondly, manage your countenance. Manage your countenance. Right? <clears throat> Card players call it the poker face. It... it you know, if you're married, one of the worst things you can do is, is do the eye roll. <laughs> Don't do the eye roll. It's not good. If you're a young person, if, listen, if, if there's a surefire way that you won't get to do nothing with anybody, just roll your eyes. My, my boys, I'd be like, hey, guys, y'all need to get that trash taken out. Oh, dad. You know, and the, the, what, the drama act that yeah. is like, y'all need to go to Broadway, you know, really seriously. Y'all would be really good on the, oh, Dad, y'all need to get that room cleaned. Let's get it cleaned. Oh, Dad, you know. And so what I would do to them, they would come to me and say, hey, Dad, can so-and-so come over and spend the night? Friday night, I'd be like, oh, really? Oh, are you serious? And they'd be like, 
Dad, that's not funny. I said, well, it kind of is, isn't it? I said, because I can roll my eyes just like you can roll your eyes. And so they learned, hey, y'all need to get that trash taken out. Y'all need to get your room clean. Okay. And nice countenance, no frowning, no shoulder, you know, going forward, all that stuff. You know, they just, okay. And my kids learn really, really quick. If they keep a good attitude and they keep a right countenance, and when I ask them to do stuff, they do it. They get a whole lot more stuff. Dad's no's are influenced by their response. And so are dad's yeses. And I always tell my boys, listen, I want to say yes. Your mother and I, we want to say yes to you. Don't make us want to say no. Right? I mean, come on. Some of you young people here today, you're like, wow, I didn't know he was going to come and preach to me too. I thought he was just going to preach to those adults, but I can get some of them myself. So you've got to manage your countenance. If you're the kind of person that wear your, your feelings on your shoulders, and you know, and everybody knows what you're thinking because they can see it on your countenance of your face, well, that's, that's positive and negative. It's negative because everybody knows what you're thinking. It's positive because everybody knows what you're thinking, right? <laughs> But you got to be careful about that because not everybody always needs to see what it is that you're thinking. Sometimes you have to put your poker face on. You know, there's, there's times, you know, I'll have people come up to me at church and after a sermon or whatever, and they're like, man, Paul, that, that was good. But, you know, I just finished a study on that. And I went into a lot of detail, and there was a couple of scriptures that you took out of context. And if you would like my study, I'll give it to you, because I just did it. It was outstanding. <laughs> and I've got my poker face on. Really? All right. Yeah. Send those to me. But y'all want to know what I'm really thinking? Mm. <laughs> right? That's what you're thinking. It's called... Countenance management. You put a smile on your face, your poker face on, nobody ever knows the difference. But here's the cool thing about that. If, if you'll discipline yourself in that area, then guess what? Your emotions will start following that. Instead of them leading you, they'll start following that discipline. And then all of a sudden, that begins to influence everything about your life and your teachability level, your correctability level, your humility levels. They all start going high. And when those go high, man, you are positioning yourself for a lot of fruit in your life. That's good really fruit. Really Number three, be willing to receive feedback even when you don't like how it's being delivered. You got to be willing to receive it even when you don't like how it's being delivered. Angela, when she was in the internship, she was dating a guy named Drew Powell. Drew's from Florida. And um, he, they didn't end up marrying. I ended up, you know, my good looks won her over. <laughs> but he's still a really great guy, and we're really good friends. He was actually, in, after they broke up, he and I were good friends, and he was in our wedding. He played in our wedding, and we're great friends to this day. But I remember Drew telling me a story one time. I was in an argument with a guy in the dorms. And we, this guy was just, he and I just didn't get along. You know, he was just, he, he irritated me. I know y'all don't have any people in your life like that. But like when I saw him coming, I wanted to duck and hide in a closet, right? Like let him walk on by and then I'll come out. He just bugged me. 
Well, we were in an argument over something. And in this particular situation, I was actually in the wrong. Now, that rarely ever happens, but I was in the wrong at that moment <laughs> with him. And he had told me something, and it was the truth, but I didn't like it because right. he was being a jerk the way he was telling me. He had a bad attitude. He was mad. His face was red. You know, he was giving me the what for, and all I wanted to do was, you know, claws come out and attack the guy. And, you know, we, you know, just being immature and foolish, I'm in an argument with this guy, and we finally both went our separate ways, and blood pressure's up, and we're both mad. And, and Drew comes in my room a little while later, and he sits down on my bed. And he says, you know, Paul, I, um, I was at my grandparents here a few weeks ago before we came up here. And it, this is summertime when the school starts, so it's summertime. He says, they had an old rubber garden hose out on the side of their house. I'd been out playing with my friends, and this thing was, it, you know, we were all th we were sweating, we were thirsty. And so we went to get a drink out of this water hose, and this thing was a 50-foot water hose, but it was really, really old. And you know how that is. It's dry rotted, and it's, it's rubber. It's the worst taste ever. And he said, you know, we started drinking out of that hose, and he said, that water was so bad. He said, but the thing is, we were so thirsty that that water was good, even though it tasted bad, and it satisfied our thirst. And I looked at him, I said, Drew, what the heck are you talking about? Why are you in, what are you doing? What are you? He said, what just happened? That guy just gave you water out of an old rubber water hose that tasted really bad. But the fact of the matter is, if you were out in the desert and you were dying of thirst, that would save your life. And he said, you're going to have to learn. And it, it was just wisdom coming from a guy. He was like, I think I was 23 at the time, and he was right about my same age. Just a lot of wisdom coming out of a young guy's mouth. And I never, ever forgot that. See, sometimes when people give you feedback, it don't taste good. But if you'll receive it, it'll still save your life. It'll still help you. And the last one, number four, don't lose sight of the big picture. It's easy to lose sight of what's important when we're in the middle of a problem, okay? When we're facing difficulties, it's easy to get lost in the frustration of our circumstances. So easy to get lost in the frustration of our circumstances. And that's when our flesh takes control. When we get lost in the frustration of our circumstances, you know, there's a sickness, there's a, we have a wreck, we have a flat, we, we don't have any money, there's problems facing us, two or three, you know, they seem to come in threes, you know, it's just, and they all happen at one time. But a person who is teachable, a person who is correctable, a person who is humble, they recognize that there's a lot more at stake when they're in the middle of a problem or they're facing circumstances or they're experiencing conflict, dealing with setbacks, delays, whatever, having relationship issues. There's under, they understand there's a lot more at stake here than just that. Because so many times, church, God is going to use those circumstances to refine you. That's how you're going to learn. If you're teachable. Only if you're teachable. Like I said, we're building a house right in the middle of a pandemic. 
You can't get nothing. Everybody's busy. Hard to get workers. There's tons of frustrations. I've had to fire a couple of crews. All kinds of things. And it's really, really easy to get focused on just that. Instead of saying, okay, God, you got me in this mess. What are you trying to teach me? What do I need to learn in this situation? And then God starts talking to me. Well, I'm going to teach you how to be a more patient husband with your wife over making decisions because she's very indecisive and she can't make up her mind. And even when she does make up her mind, she second guesses herself and she thinks I should never have chose that color or that tile or that flooring. And now I got to go back and look at it again because, well, can you come with me and look at that? And then you look at it and I go look at it and I like this one and then she's okay and we pick that one. But then we, a, a week later, no, I don't really like that. I don't think I like that one. And so I think I might want to change. And I'm just... <laughs> I, my blood pressure, my heart rate, my, 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 I got, my neck is stiff. I've got a head. I mean, and God is like, I can make you a better man if you'll let me. Are y'all hearing me? This is life. This is where we all live. You may be a parent here and you've got a child that is just difficult See, wise people, teachable people, they understand how important it is to win over their flesh because it's in the process that God is going to refine us, purify us, grow us, and make us more fruit-bearing people. Right. Romans 5.3, it says, We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials. For we know that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character. And character strengthens our confident hope in salvation. James 1, verse 2. My brethren, count it all what? Joy. Not frustration, not irritability. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials. And sometimes you just fall into them. You didn't even create them. They just came out of nowhere. It's not even your fault. Knowing that the testing, did you all hear that word? That it's a test. It's a test. Pass or fail, what are you going to do? Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience. So you got to let it. You got to be teachable. You got to be correctable. You got to have some humility. Let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Malachi 3, 2, listen to this. But who will be able to endure when he comes? Who will be able to stand and face him when he appears? Listen, for he will be like a blazing fire that refines metal or like a strong soap that bleaches clothes. This is where God has us. That video this morning, this is where God has his people right now. He is refining us. He is purifying us. God has got the soap out. God's got the soap out on the world right now. Our world is in a boiling pot. We are all under a pressure cooker. Every single one of us, we're all in the press. And what is in us when we are squeezed is going to be made evident. Yeah. 
But if we are teachable, we're correctable, we have some humility, what can happen is God can transform our hearts. He can cause the fruit of the Spirit to begin to come out of our lives. Love. In the midst of all this, love. Joy. Peace. Patience. See, this is what we want. Because these fruit are going to produce such great outcomes in our lives and they're going to bring healing and blessing to our lives. Let me close with this. Nobody ever drifted up to the doorstep of their dream life. <laughs> Nobody. That's right. My house that I've been dreaming about for 18 years, there have been a lot of tears, a lot of work. I've endured a lot of hard things. You don't just drift up. It doesn't work like that. Teachability, correctability, and humility, it's a choice. It's not a feeling. It's not an emotion. It's a decision. You get to decide, are you going to be that person? Will I be teachable? Can my wife teach me? Can my husband teach me? Can my children teach me? Can my parents teach me? Am I correctable? What's my posture like in this situation? Am I leaning in or am I closed off? Am I, am I a person who uh, can receive from other people or am I a person that tends to repel what other people are trying to help me in? Remember, most of these attributes that I'm talking about are formed under test and trial. That's, only, that's the only way they come. The next time that you're under pressure, the next time that you're tempted to respond out of the flesh, the next time you're tempted to be mad at God and frustrated with Him because of your circumstances. And I'm not, I'm not being critical of you. I get it. I've been there. I've given God the bird more than once. I'm just being honest with you. I have. Not any time lately. <laughs> Back when I was a younger Christian, he got, because he, I was, you know, I was well practiced and versed in that. that you know, thumbs up was not my thing. <laughs> that wasn't it. But, but you get to decide, pass or fail. You get to decide, pass or fail. Will you bring God glory and bear the fruit of the Spirit with your mate? Your kids, the waiter, will you bear that fruit? Or are you going to bear the fruit of the flesh? Well, I think we got enough of that in our world. We got to have some, some kingdom people. Kingdom, kingdom people, people that are living in an upside down kingdom. You know, I said yesterday, love is the most powerful force in the world. You know why? Because love absorbs the push. Yeah, that's good. It does. It absorbs the push. But you can't have that if you're not teachable. And today as I close, I just want to ask you to stand with me and let's just posture ourselves. You know, I heard Jack say that this morning. Let's just posture ourselves before the Lord here just for a minute as we close. And I, I just want you to ponder in your heart. Ask yourself this question. Am I teachable? Am I a teachable person? 
Am I mentorable? Am I correctable? Do I walk in more humility or do I walk in more pride? When somebody thinks about you, when so, you know, just think about it this way. When somebody hears your name and they think about you, what do they think? That person's stubborn, they're unwilling to learn, or man, that, that guy, that woman, that young person, they're awesome. We had a young man that just came through our internship and graduated. And I, I mean, I fell in love with this guy. I really, he was really awkward when he came. And I thought, boy, he's going to be a handful. And he turned out to be my most favorite person because every time I met with him, and I, I had to meet with him about a lot. I had to meet with him about how to walk, <laughs> how to talk. You know, he'd come up and say, my liege. And I'm like, who, what are you talking about? How to, all kinds of stuff. Just, he didn't grow up having any of that. And I, I understand some of that stuff. But every time I met with him, he received everything that I told him and he would go and take it and he would put it into action. And I just watched this young man grow and prosper and move forward and do great. And the thing about it was he was a super intelligent young man. He knew more of the Bible than I did. Super smart. And God has opened up doors for this young man to connect with a really awesome ministry. And his, he has potential to really become somebody. Potential to be really successful in life. And I told him, I said, you will go far if you will keep this attitude of teachability. Because teachability is the key to everything in life. And you never outgrow it. And once you do, your growth will stop. Let's pray. Father, today, Lord, we just ask you to help us. God, let us not be blinded by our flesh or blinded by our circumstances, our frustrations. Lord, help us not to get so focused on the tree that we don't see the big picture, the forest, and all the beauty that you have for our life. Lord, help us. And God, I pray today for, the, for all the, the people that are here in the different circumstances and situations that they're in. Some of them are facing some really hard things, health issues, big decisions with their, with their work, decision for a move. Some of them are in difficult places, just they're frustrated with whether their children are in their, their relationship. But God, I pray today that you will help them receive this word that this word will bring life and that this word will bring correction and it will bear fruit in their hearts, God, and that that fruit will be good fruit, spiritual fruit, fruit that will remain, fruit that will bless them and fruit that will be multi-generational. God, we're breaking curses off of our families that were rooted for years, generations. We're breaking them off. In the name of Jesus. Come on, just agree with me. Some of you got generational things over your, over your homes and your families. And, and you're really the first generation.
to begin the restoration and, and course correction of your home. Me and Angela, we, we are that. We are that. And, there's, and, and for people like that, there's extra battles that you're going to have to fight. There just is. But I want to encourage you. Don't grow weary in well-doing. Don't grow weary, weary in well-doing. For in due season, your reward will be great if you do not give up. Amen. Do not give up. Do not quit. God, we're not quitters. We're overcomers. We're more than conquerors through Christ. Come on. Come on, church. Receive it. So just, say it, just say it with me. I'm more than a conqueror through Christ. I can. I can. I can do all things through Christ Jesus. Oh, yes, Lord, we thank you. We can, Lord. Through you, we can do all things. We can overcome all things. We can endure all things. We can persevere through all things because your love, Lord, your love is so great and so awesome. Lord, I just loose the anointing of your Holy Spirit over this ministry, over these people. We are so glad that you chose to tune in with us this week. We hope that today's message left you challenged, encouraged, and inspired. If you enjoyed today's message and would like to hear more, you can find us wherever it is that you listen to your podcasts as well as on YouTube. Thanks again for listening to the DCC Sermon Podcast.